the woods, you take us with you. This is radio you rely on. Become a sound supporter. Give us the constant support we need to keep you connected. Donate now at wjffradio.org. Support comes from the Homestead School, Montessori Education, preschool through early college with campuses in Glens Bay and Hurleyville, building the intelligence, creativity, connection, and skills for an ecological future since 1978. Homesteadschool.com. From the River Reporter newspaper in Narrowsburg, New York. Riverreporter.com. And from listener donations at WJFFradio.org. Welcome to the local edition news and information to keep you connected in the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. I'm your host, Jason Dole, and coming up, we've got a lot of local news. The latest on Camp FIMFA, which we've been following as we talk to local reporters with our Sullivan County News Roundup on a Monday with the Sullivan County Democrat. Also check in with Sullivan County Government, talk to the Division of Planning about the Highland Access area. But first we have some news at the state and local level. Governor Kathy Ockel's Labor Commissioner issued an order uh, at the end of the week last week to phase in a 40-hour work week for farm laborers by 2032. The plan recommended by Wage Board has sparked backlash from farmers and some Republican elected officials who say it will severely harm the state's farming industry. Karen DeWitt has more. The Farm Laborers Wage Board in September, carrying out the details of a 2019 law, outlined a path that would reduce the hours gradually from the current 60-hour week. The new limits will be 56 hours a week beginning in January of 2024 and then be reduced every two years until they reach 40 hours on January 1, 2032. Farm laborers can work more than the minimum of 40 hours a week, but the farm owners must pay them overtime for it. Hochul, speaking two days before the decision was issued, said if the labor commissioner approved the plan, she would support it. That is the right thing to do. When the law was passed three years ago, it was praised by Democrats and workers' rights advocates. They said farm workers would finally hold the same rights to overtime pay that nearly every other profession has held for decades. New York State AFL-CIO President Mario Salento says Friday's decision shows the cause for justice finally prevailed. Farm owners, though, disagree. David Fisher, the president of the New York State Farm Bureau, was the only member of the wage board to vote against the plan. In a statement, Fisher called the commission's order a difficult day for all those who care about New York being able to feed itself. Farm owners have argued that growing and harvesting seasons are too short to limit the hours that laborers put in planting and picking the crops. They say their operating margins are so thin that they can't afford to pay overtime. They predicted that some farms and dairy operations will have to close and that farm workers will seek out neighboring states where they can work for more hours and earn more money. Peter Tenike, the longtime owner of Indian Ladder Farms, a popular apple orchard outside of Albany, was part of a news conference in August held by farm owners who opposed the changes. Tenike predicted that many farms will be forced to close. First, you're going to lose the weakest farms or go by the wayside. 
The next thing you're going to lose is the next generation of farmers. People are not going to go into this business. They're not going to continue on. Hochul says farmers won't be financially harmed, though, because she and the legislature in the state budget approved a front-loaded tax credit program. It will compensate farmers for any overtime costs. The governor says she understands how critical the farm industry is to the state. That extra cost will be absorbed by the state of New York because, to me, the farm community is part of our national security. It's part of our state's economic security. And Hochul says the additional overtime pay will aid New York farmers who are competing with other states for a limited supply of workers. They're going to still work 60 hours. It's going to be a long day. That's how the season works. But they're going to be paid for every penny in overtime as well where they used to not be, and they're not being paid that in other states. The farm owners remain unconvinced, and they have allies among Republicans in the state legislature who are in the minority party there. State Senate Republican Minority Leader Rob Ort in a statement called the decision nothing short of a scheduled collapse of New York's agricultural industry. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. In local news, Sullivan County Public Health is urging parents to vaccinate their children against polio as the New York State Department of Health continues to monitor local wastewater for signs of polio. Areas considered to have community transmission of polio virus include those where the polio virus has been repeatedly detected in wastewater. And at this time, that includes Rockland, Origin, uh, Rockland Orange, and Sullivan Counties as well as the New York City metropolitan area. In a statement released today, Sullivan County Public Health Director Nancy McGraw says state officials are in close contact with her office as the surveillance continues. And although local wastewater samples collected in July and August were positive, McGraw says, quote, to date we have not had any cases of polio diagnosed among residents of Sullivan County. Nevertheless, we are urging parents to make sure their children are fully vaccinated for polio, end quote. Sullivan County Public Health is also recommending health care providers take the time in every primary care visit with adults and children to ensure that they are up to date with recommended vaccines for their age. And uh, adults who have not completed their polio vaccination should complete it no matter how long ago they started their vaccination. And those who don't believe they are vaccinated at all should totally get vaccinated. Nancy McGraw added that there's no danger of contracting polio from drinking water. And New York State is moving forward on an effort that would require all new passenger cars, pickups, and SUVs sold in the state to be zero emissions by 2035. Governor Hochul is directing the State Department of Environmental Conservation to expedite the regulatory process for legislation signed by the Democrat last year. Hochul says it's a crucial step to electrify the transportation sector and help New York achieve its goal of reducing greenhouse gas emissions by 85% by 2050. State says regulations also line up with automakers' projections for electric vehicle production and follow a similar move by California. WAMC's Jim Lavoulis spoke with Sean Mayer, DEC's executive deputy commissioner, about this effort. For WAMC News, I'm Jim Lavoulis. New York is moving forward on an effort that would require all new passenger cars, pickups, and SUVs sold in the state to be zero emissions by 2035. Governor Kathy Hochul is directing the State Department of Environmental Conservation to expedite the regulatory process for legislation signed by the Democrat last year. Hochul says it's a crucial step to electrify the transportation sector and help New York achieve its goal of reducing greenhouse gas emissions by 85 percent by 2050. 
The state says the regulations also line up with automakers' projections for electric vehicle production and follow a similar move by California. I spoke with Sean Mahar, DEC's executive deputy commissioner, about the effort. Well, it's National Drive Electric Week here in the state and nation, and uh, we're excited that Governor Hochul today has uh, directed DEC to move forward on major regulations to bring on more electric vehicles here to market in New York State. And this major regulatory proposal that we're advancing will ensure that by 2035, all vehicles sold in New York State will be zero emission vehicles. And as you mentioned, it's proposed regulation. What is the process for these regulations to take effect? Sure. We'll have additional information going out that will soon be uh, posted and unveiled to New Yorkers. There'll be a public process where they can uh, review the regulations that we have developed and help us ensure that they meet the goals of all New Yorkers, which is to help us uh, tackle climate change and really tackle what's one of the largest sources of emissions in New York, which is the transportation sector. And yeah, to that point, uh, this is part of uh, New York's overall greenhouse gas emission reduction efforts. How big a part of that goal is this move? Well, this is a major component of our overall efforts through the Climate Leadership and Community Protection Act and the Climate Action Council that's underway. We know that bringing on more electric vehicles is one of the center points of the scoping plan that's in development. And we wanted to make sure we're continuing to jumpstart those efforts and move forward on the major things that we know need to happen now. And that is bringing more electric vehicles onto the market. So this regulation is really setting the stage for New York to continue that leadership on the national level and really drive the change that we need to see in the transportation sector. And I understand there is a rebate program that currently exists um, for consumers uh, looking to buy an electric vehicle, um, and the plan is for that to continue and expand even. Is that right? Correct. We have an all-hands-on-deck approach working with our partners at NYSERDA, the Department of Public Service, and other agencies really to maximize the leverage that we can provide to consumers to make the choice to go electric. Obviously, these regulations by 2035 will make that choice easier for them. But in the meantime, we're looking to make sure that we're giving them incentives to purchase now, but also helping municipalities uh, and uh, others bring on the infrastructure that's needed to support these electric vehicles. So we have a municipal zero emission vehicle grant program that's out now. NYSERDA has a number of programs that are available, and it's really just working together, making sure, making sure that we're leveraging all the available programs to the best of our ability and the be- for the best interest of consumers as well. And will the supply of these types of vehicles be there? I mean, California's uh, seeking to do this. Vermont is considering a, a similar move. I understand No one has a crystal ball, but looking ahead to 2035, all new sales in those states need to be a certain type of vehicle. Um, Is that going to be there? Well, that's why we're working with these regulations to ensure that that is the case. And by setting these regulations in place that also have interim milestones associated with it, we're helping the vehicle manufacturers of the state be able to realize that. And through other incentive programs, we're going to make sure that that uh, stockpile of electric vehicles is going to be there for us. And those steps, if I have it correct, are new light duty vehicle sales to be zero emission vehicles starting with 35% of sales in model year 2026. That bumps up to 68% of sales by 2030 and then 100% by 2035. Is that accurate? Correct. 
Is there anything in these proposed draft regulations that involves existing vehicles or vehicles that will be sold before 2035 there and vehicles on the road uh, at that point? This is just sets the framework for the, all the sales of uh, vehicles to be zero emission by 2035. Um, Gas-powered vehicles would still be available through used uh, cars and things like that. But right now what we're setting is that all cars to be offered for sale that are new will be zero emission vehicles by 2035. Sean Mahar is the Executive Deputy Commissioner of the New York State Department of Environmental Conservation. Sean, thank you very much for your time. Thanks, Jim. And thanks to New York State Public Radio Exchange for those stories. This is a local edition. News and information is keeping you connected. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with more news, getting our local news update from the Sullivan County Democrat and checking in with Sullivan County Government. Public Radio for the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. You're listening to Radio Catskill. Listen to us on your smart speaker. Just ask your smart speaker to play WJFF Radio Catskill. Radio Catskill and Catskill Brewery present Apple Pie Palooza, Saturday, October 8th. 5 to 9 p.m. at Catskill Brewery in Livingston Manor. Eat pie, win pie, bring home pie. Enter the Apple Pie Baking Contest at WJFFRadio.org. Plus, dancing in the tent with WJFF's DJs, Jason Tuga, Nick Forte, and me, Cassie. Apple Pie Palooza, October 8th, benefiting Radio Catskill. Welcome back to the local edition news and information keeping you connected to Catskills, Northeast Pennsylvania. And we have more news coming your way coming up. It's our weekly news roundup in Sullivan County Democrat reporter Derek Kirk checking in with Patricio Rabio. But first, the other thing we do on Monday is we check in with Sullivan County government. This week, we're talking about the Highland Access Site. This is a Delaware River fishing access site along Route 97 between Barryville and Historic Roebling Bridge. And it's going to be closed for construction starting uh, this month. And that will go through at least the upcoming spring, spring of 2023. For more on this, Radio Catskills' Patricio Bio spoke to Sullivan County Chief Planner Heather Jaxey about the project. Yes, we've been working on this project for a while. We wanted to make a bunch of... Um upgrades to an existing fishing access. So the fishing access is run by DEC, but the county got some money and put some of its own money in to upgrade it so that it performs better um, and it's more accessible for more people. This might be stating the obvious, but uh, is this a very popular fishing site? I'm assuming it is because you, the county is rebuilding this access site to make it better for fishermen and for the public to use. So I'm assuming this is a very popular fishing site. It is, um, but it's also highly visible, and we feel that it doesn't really show that we're in a national park right now. Um, it's kind of like a goat path off of a 
a dusty highway pull-off. So we're going to upgrade it so that the stormwater gets better processed through it. We're going to uh, make sure that it, um, the invasives are replaced with natives. And basically that the path that goes from the parking area down to the river is a gentle slope that can be used by people um, in wheelchairs or who have mobility issues. So you're revamping the site, making it better for, let's say, those who use wheelchairs, or just like, making it more appealing because, like I said, it's a visible spot. So, and replacing the or removing the invasive species. And, you know, just remembering an interview I heard recently at on a Radio Catskill on Farmer Country about the invasive uh, knotweed and how that is overtaking some of the fields and how how dangerous are these invasive species to like uh, popular fishing sites like this? Um, well, the knotweed presents a bunch of issues. Uh, I know that at a couple of the accesses, um, you know, some of the paths get sort of crowded out by the growth. But I know that there are environmental issues um, around it. Uh, it tends to make the the river wider and warmer, which is not good for our fish population. So there's reasons to get rid of it. Also, you know, are reasons to replace it with things that that should be growing there so that, um, you know, our uh, native insects and animals um, have a place to exist and eat. When will construction start or has it begun yet uh, in the this new access point? Um, well, construction hasn't started quite yet. Uh, we should be getting in there in the next few days or weeks. And we hope to have the majority of the construction finished by the end of this year, but there will be some things that we'll need to finish up um, early next year. And then there are a few hanging pieces that um, we're still sort of looking to fund because we got this money before the pandemic and now prices are so much higher, um, we had to reduce some of the scope. Um, so, But we're planning to get all of the work done at some point. It just might not all be done in the spring. But the the access should be reopened in the spring. It, since you got this money before the pandemic, what was the, the cause of the delay uh, for, to sort of start this project and, and sort of get the ball rolling? Uh, oh, lots of reasons, actually. Um, one is that it was sort of the trifecta for permitting because the site is owned by um, New York State DOT and it is leased by the New York State DEC. It's located within the National um, Park Service catchment area. We got federal and local funding for it. Um, so we had a lot of permitting that we had to go through. Um, so that took a while. And then when the pandemic hit, the county wasn't certain whether or not they would be able to make their, their share of the of the project, um, which they have since put back into the budget. So then we got moving again, and then the prices were up, so we had to modify the scope of the project. Um, but we did. We, we have had so much support from all of our partners, and I'm really grateful for um, the work that the New York State DEC is doing, that the Town of Highland is doing, that the New York State DOT is doing. We've gotten um, help from Friends of the Upper Delaware River, um, Assemblywoman Aileen Gunther. We've gotten so much support for this project, and of course, from the, the county legislatures, too. Sullivan Catskills has such, you know, beautiful, pristine waters. We are, you know, the, the watershed for New York City. We provide drinking water to them. And, you know, the lakes, the rivers, the hikings is all these beautiful natural resources that we have available. And it's great that the county is sort of investing uh, in sites like this and sort of providing, uh, making this access, access accessible to the future generations. 
Well, we put together a, a plan um, a number of years back um, for the Upper Delaware River, um, starting in Hancock and going all the way down to Port Jervis. You know, we did a lot of community outreach at the time, and one of the hugest issues for people was access to the river, um, which is sort of how this project evolved. You know, like, what can we do to help improve access to the river? Uh, and we, we um, have been slowly working on improving and increasing access since then. Is the county looking at other access sites that they are sort of planning to renovate like they plan to in Highland? Well, the county um, is in the process of creating a new county park um, near the hamlet of Calicoon, which is very exciting. And, um, you know, we also have the partner of the town there and also the partner of the DEC there. So um, look to see uh, more more riverside property um, for public use. Right, providing those you know access to those natural resources that we have here, not only to the tourists, but here to folks here locally who enjoy the rivers and the lakes. And you know, I just anecdotally remember driving around Southern County and witnessing a lot of people, you know, using the rivers to cool off during the, the hot days. And now Southern County is you know providing more access, or you know, future plans to provide more access to to the rivers and, and lakes, you know, public access. The river is um, owned uh, privately, so having more public access is, uh, should reduce the amount of people trespassing on private property. You know, when they know where they're welcome to pull out of the water and stay on shore, um, it it makes a difference for um, the the people who have uh, you know their lawns and stuff down to the river. Will this access site have a boat launch? Yep, um, there'll. There's a, a boat launch, but not not a motor. It's a, you have to carry your boat down to the water. Um, and we're part of the plan includes a kayak rack and a bicycle rack so that you could replace, um, you know, if you're going alone on the river, well, or you're going with, <laughs> with friends on the river, um, you can drop a car um, uh, at one spot and a bicycle at another spot and replace one of your trips with a bicycle trip, which is great because four miles on the river is a great day and four miles on a bicycle is an easy ride. Yes, definitely. That's a, just a beautiful ride along the river, you know, on your bike. Heather, before we go, is there anything else I have not touched on do you want our listeners to know about? No, just that I'm really grateful for our partners, you know, National Park Service, uh, DOT, DEC, the town of Highland, uh, Friends of the Upper Delaware River. Um, everybody's really been great. We were talking to Heather Jasky, Chief Planner for the Division of Planning, Community Development, and Real Property for Sullivan County, talking about the Highland Access Site. The county is renovating the access sites to a popular fishing hole and swimming hole. Heather, thank you so much for joining us on the program and letting us know about this uh, future plans on the Highland Access Site. Thank you. For Radio Catskill, I'm Patricio Rabayo. Thank you, Heather. Thank you, Patricio, for that report. Patricio will be back in just one moment because every Monday we check in with Sullivan County Democrat. Earlier today, uh, Patricio checked in with Derek Cook, staff reporter for the Sullivan County Democrat, and uh, they talked about the latest on the development on the $44.9 million camping project in Highland, Camp FIMFO. This is something we've been uh, covering right along here on Radio Catskill. Uh, let's go to the conversation with Derek Kirk about Camp FIMFO. Yes, FIMFO. It stands for Camp Fun is More Fun Outside. It's a resort project uh, that's been developed by Northgate Resorts and is proposing 
$44.9 million development that uh, has been dubbed the new generation of camping. Derek, there was a recent public meeting on this particular development. What is the latest that you can tell us? Camp Info is waiting further reports from the National Park Service and in turn uh, waiting reports from the Upper Delaware Council as of the Highland Planning Board meeting that was held on September 28th at the Eldridge Junior Senior High School. No official action was taken then. They're still waiting on reports from those organizations. Uh, but from the comment, public comments made at the planning board, the general public appears to be pushing a, uh, mostly in a negative view of Camp Fimfo. The chairman of the Highland Planning Board, Norm Sutherland, said that the applicant came to them in March and that the project has have been going through uh, numerous organizations being reviewed by many individuals and organizations and the CEO and president of the Sullivan County Partnership for Economic Development, Mark Baez, is in high hopes for the project, uh, saying that uh, it could be a, a positive stimulant for the community. Usually in developments like this, I believe the, the criticism for something this large will be environmental, that this would have a negative impact on the environment in the area. Is that what you're hearing? Is that sort of the pushback you're hearing from the public on this particular uh, resort development? Yeah, that's a big, big part of the the pushback uh, from the general public is the uh, environmental concerns that come from uh, sewage usage, uh, water quality um, from their own wells, and of course from the Delaware River. Um, there are concerns of some items being in the plans that could disturb possibly uh environmental balances of, of bald eagles and other wildlife. And there have been uh, a number of calls at the planning board uh, public comment for an individual environmental study. As I said, the chairman, uh, Norm Sutherland, has, has stated that there have been reviews and there have been outside sources that have looked at this project, but I think that those uh, calls for an outside, outside review uh, still remain. Right. And I said the, uh, you know, my, my knowledge of planning boards, I know these things uh, sometimes could take uh, months, if not years, to come to, to light. Uh, uh, I said many things can happen between now and then. It's just, so in the early, it's still in the planning board stages, and uh, a lot more steps have to happen before then. Um, also, looking into the pages of the Sullivan County Democrat, I see that there is going to be coverage for I recently held was the, uh, the Sullivan County Volunteer Firefighter Association, the 63rd annual one, past brunch. Uh, it happened in Wallkill, in the golf club, uh, on September 25th. And I believe you're going to have full coverage on that uh, particular event. Is that correct? Yeah, readers can look forward to, in the Tuesday edition, more coverage on that uh, Sullivan County Volunteer Firefighters Association brunch. Um, at that brunch, four firemen were presented uh, with an award, uh, Firefighter of the Year. And they are Keith Curley, Justin Mapes, Wayne Vandermillen, and Roger Bisland as well as uh, D.A. Megan Galligan was the guest speaker. So readers can look forward to reading more about that in the Tuesday's edition. Yeah, these brave firemen from Monticello uh, Fire Company, Fire Department, they saved a, a victim on the third floor of the burning building. How was happening on Fraser Road in August 2021. Uh, and they believe they worked in tandem. They uh, they got it was just, they were able to extinguish some of the fire in, in the second floor that led them to the third floor. And they found uh, someone entrapped in the apartment. 
Um, and they worked with tandem with the other firefighters outside the window and in a bucket. And they were able to rescue the person and hand them off to the bucket. So it's great that these, these firefighters have got the recognition and it's just four of them. They're usually the firemen's, uh, fireman, firefighter of the year is just usually just one person, but the, uh, the association honored the award to these four firemen. So congratulations to them and said, uh, well deserved. So Derek, thank you so much for joining us on the local edition and letting us know what's happening in the pages of the Sullivan County Democrat. We were talking to Derek Kirk. Staff reporter for the Sullivan County Democrat. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you, Patricio. For Radio Catsco, I'm Patricio Rubio. Okay, that's going to do it for the local edition. News and information that keeps you connected in the Catskills in Northeast Pennsylvania. I've been your host, Jason Dolp. And I'll be back here tomorrow night to do it again. Big thanks to Patricio Rabio for uh, the interviews that he did. Thank you to the New York State Public Radio Exchange as well. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow's the Kingfisher Project here on Radio Catskill on the local edition. So we'll be turning things over to Bill Williams. He has a, another great interview with an author tackling the issues of uh, opioids and addiction. It's the Kingfisher Project coming to you the first Tuesday every month right here on the Local Edition. Don't miss any episode of this program. Sign up for the Local Edition podcast wherever you get your podcast from. And to stay up on everything that we've got going on, including Apple Pie Palooza coming this Saturday to Livingston Manor to benefit Radio Catskill, go to our website, wjffradio.org. Great lineup of news and politics programmings coming right up to you. Starting with 51% in just a moment. This is Radio Catskill. Support for Radio Catskill comes from Van Gorder's Furniture, featuring Lodge and Adirondack styles as well as rustic collections, with showrooms at Lake Wall and Poppock, downtown Honesdale, and Milford, PA. Van Gorder's Furniture brings the outdoors inside. VanGorders.com. From Dog Mountain Lodge, providing dog boarding and grooming, also boarding cats, birds, and other exotic pets. Located in Keshekta, New York, and on the web at dogmountainlodge.com. And from listeners like you, WJFF Jeffersonville, W233A.